Hey Jim, this will probably sound crazy, but I have a food safety story to share. Shocking, but try me. So I ordered eggs over easy in a drive-thru the other day, but believe it or not, I never ordered eggs over easy before. No, I can believe that, but go on. So I'm trying to parallel park while eating this over easy egg sandwich, only to realize that I'm getting egg yolk in my hair and down my sleeve. I didn't know over easy meant that it was uncooked. So is this like a food safety story or a hazardous driving story? Anyway, my food safety question is, is it safe to eat runny egg yolks? They're perfectly safe to eat. They won't make you sick, but you will have egg in your face. Really? Egg yolks are safe? Exactly. What's wrong, Ashley? You can't take a yolk? Please stop. Hi, I'm Ashley Maitek, and today I'm talking with Jim Lowe from the University of Illinois to talk about food safety and how it's regulated in the United States. After all of those terrible puns, we hope you stay with us. Welcome to The Round Barn. So Jim, I thought eggs were contaminated with salmonella. I mean, I always freak out when my kids are baking with us and I always make them wash their hands a million times. Um, so help me understand, how is the yolk sterile in my situation? And I'm not gonna die, right? Well, not quickly. <laughs> okay. No, you won't die. And so it's, it's a good bit, right? So we do really worry about food safety and eggs. And that's because eggs, can be contaminated with chicken poop. And so the outside of the egg, the eggshell itself comes out and can have chicken poop on it. And chicken poop can have salmonella in it. And that's just a known bacteria amongst chickens in particular. Yeah, it's, it's everywhere, but chickens have it and, and other things. And so basically, you know, poop on food is always bad. That's one Got of the you know, general rules, right? So we're not picking on chickens in particular, but you know, a chicken lays an egg and, and the way their anatomy works, right? The egg comes out the same place that the poop comes out. And so there's cross contamination in the process there. And so you get this egg and the outside of that egg is a complicated surface. You know, it looks like it's hard, right? But if you think about it, an eggshell has got some depth and it's rough. And so when I put the outside of that egg on, the eggshell is to protect the inside of that egg which, remember, the purpose of the egg was to make another chicken. So there, if we fertilize that egg, we have a baby chicken in there, but we don't have fertilized eggs, so it's just an egg. It's just the, the ovum. Um, so the inside of that's sterile, because I'm trying to, theoretically, in nature, protect a baby chicken. So the outside of that shell is to keep everything out. So when the egg comes out, it ends up in the environment, and it can have salmonella on it. So the inside of the egg, the white and the yolk, is sterile until I crack the egg. And so now whatever's on the shell of that egg can end up on the surface of that egg that I'm gonna cook. So if you had an egg over easy, right? I'm gonna crack that egg in a skillet and we'll fry it and then we'll flip it over a little bit and we'll put some more heat on the other side. I wish they had told me that bit when I ordered it. I yeah, thought I it was gonna be That's another whole conversation, fried. the fact that you didn't know that was raw on the inside, but we're, we, we, we digress. But if there's any, happens to be a little bit of salmonella or E. coli or other bacteria in there, right? I sear that with that heat and that kills it. So the inside of the egg, the, the bit that's touched the skillet, sterile and everything inside of that is sterile as well. 
So you're not going to die. We sterilize that egg when we put it in when we put it in the when we put it in the skillet, and you're you're good to go. So you and your kids are perfectly safe. So the other question that I thought of was, right when I was growing up, I, I always whenever we made cookie dough, which had eight raw eggs in it, we would eat it. But then it turns out right now there's a big brouhaha. Right, you're not supposed to let your kids or anybody really eat these raw eggs that are in cookie dough when you're making it. So why is that problematic? So if we think about a raw egg and cookie dough, like if you're going to scramble the eggs, so now I take the egg and I beat the egg up. So whatever is on the shell ended up on the surface of the egg, and then I beat the egg up, and the inside and the outside are mixed. So when I accidentally leave like the little parts of the shell in the cookie dough when I mix it, because yeah, I'm bad at breaking yeah, the eggs. We also need to have that's a class of egg cracking, it sounds like. So we, yeah. have, we have a lot of things to work through here, Ash. <laughs> we can have an egg cooking show here. An egg cooking show. We can have like, we can get a little video camera or something over the top. But that's, um, that, yeah, that's the challenge, right? So we're talking about a mixed up product that could be contaminated and then it's raw. But again, if I cook the egg, I kill the bacteria. So, right, rule one with food safety and, and how did we live for eons without a food safety organization was we actually cooked the food. And when we didn't cook the food, occasionally things go bad. So, food safety is the thing that's gone on since the beginning of time and it's radically improved and we have this tremendously safe food supply today. Why is our food supply safe? Well, we, um, we could go back to a history lesson and maybe a literature lesson with Upton Sinclair, if we remember that name. And he wrote this book called The Jungle, the turn of the previous century. Um, I'm old enough to have to remember that was the previous century, not this one. But so right in the early 1900s, there were these horrible stories going on, really in the first progressive era when we were talking about busting trust and everything. And right there was a lot of muckraking going on, really trying to help labor organize and do things. But what came out of that Upton Sinclair Jungle Book was not the horrible working conditions for the people in the packing plant, but the fact that the packing plant was a filthy, disgusting mess. And so what came out of that was a lot of tremendous amount of public pressure to say, um, by the way, maybe we ought to regulate that a little bit. So what had happened in the country was basically, right, everybody had their own livestock in the backyard. You butchered your own animals. You made your own meat. You cooked your own milk. We didn't disseminate it fairly widely. If, if your cow happened to have TB and you drank the milk, your family got TB, but not everyone else got TB. So tuberculosis is spread by, could be spread by cows or was spread by cows. It's not today, we're free. So we had this process, right? Like everybody was local and everybody ate their own food and you ate it relatively fresh and spoilage wasn't an issue. And then we decided we wanted to urbanize so people lived in cities so now they didn't have animals or crops to grow their own food. And so we started having this food supply chain and supplying food into urban centers. And it got industrialized and yada, yada, yada. So here we are by the late 1800s, early 1900s in Chicago is the packing capital of the world. It's the world's butcher and livestock all went to Chicago by the rail to the stockyards and got butchered around the stockyards because it wasn't mechanized. Then it got shipped out and that industry wasn't regulated and it was like much during that era of the robber barons that industry was running amok and doing a lot of things that they shouldn't be doing. So that included really, really filthy conditions in packing plants. So they would scoop stuff up off the floor and there was no inspection. And so what came out of all that was that the United States Department of Agriculture started inspecting meat. And so, and that's still the purview today. So the USDA Food Safety Inspection Service is an entire agency that's dedicated just to inspecting meat production. 
And that's meat is what? Muscle. Beef and so beef, pork. So beef, pork, chicken. Beef, pork, chicken, not eggs. Not eggs. Okay. So beef, pork, chicken are all inspected by USDA FSIS. And that's really through the whole chain. So that's from the moment they arrive at the packing plant until basically they show up on the grocery store shelf. So any step in processing is regulated by USDA. And that process is really robust. And it's really old. And it's the oldest food safety inspection system in the world. And so we really know how to inspect meat and ensure that it's clean. So the point of the inspectors in the plan are is, is that there is no contamination of the carcass. Um, so no fecal contamination of the carcass, no other bits of the carcass. The carcasses are disease-free, so the animal didn't have disease, particularly things like tuberculosis. So we're not spreading tuberculosis to the human population. How do you even tell if a carcass has tuberculosis? So tuberculosis hits an interesting thing that um, they get abscesses in their lymph nodes. And so if you actually go into a packing plant today, every pig, every calf that's, uh, that's harvested in the packing plant, there's somebody that physically cuts open the, the lymph nodes in the head where they're more likely to have lesions. So they physically look at them and if there's anything that looks funny, that carcass gets pulled and they make a determination if that carcass is gonna stay in the food supply or not. And generally today, they just get, they get what we would call tank. They get disposed of and rendered for, for uh, just protein source. So they don't end up in the human food supply. So there's this inspection process and there are multiple stations. And so if there's anything that looks funny in the intestines, the carcass gets railed. And if there's any in the harvesting process of the end up with any fecal material in the carcass, the carcass gets thrown out. So this process is really robust so we can show up. And that happens all the way through the processing chain. So if I'm making bacon, somebody's inspecting the bacon making process. So it's clean and the cold chain is maintained and we know what happened and where it came from and where is it going. What's the cold chain? So the cold chain is is a idea that we would keep meat below refrigerator temperature. Below, like, what is that, 40, 40 degrees? 40 degrees, but below 4 centigrade. And so we would say, ah, it's in the 30s. Let's just call it in the 30s Fahrenheit. And so we keep it in that temperature, and it never gets out of that temperature range. Like through, even once we see it in the grocery store, it's been maintained. That's exactly right. So, so from the time the animal's harvested and the carcass is, is cleaned and prepped, it goes into a cooler, it's cooled very rapidly, and then all of that meat is processed in big rooms that are refrigerator temperature. So they maintain the cold chain. Is it cold in the truck? And how they validate the cold chain gets maintained in the truck, et cetera. And that's really important because if we think about supplies or, or food coming to the grocery store, if it's gotten warm, it's more likely to have bacterial growth. It's more likely to spoil, which is when we talk about spoilage, we're really talking about bacteria growing on the surface. And that's a food safety problem. So the, the USDA regulates these meat products, and then who did you say is regulating eggs? Well, that's the conundrum in the U.S. So the Food and Drug Administration regulates eggs and milk and vegetables and processed foods and, and, and. So the only thing USDA regulates is meat. And it's an interesting deal because the industry actually pays for all that inspection. Hmm. So it's a government organization, but the industries, the packing plants, pay for the inspectors. There's a fee that they pay. They pay to fund that organization. But isn't that bad? Like, couldn't they just give them an extra 50 if they see a bad carcass and be like, well, oh, they he's pay the be government. Fine. They don't pay the inspectors directly. So there's a, if you want to think about it, there's a tax on packing plants. There's a fee on packing. It's a fee for service organization so that the U.S. taxpayer isn't pay, picking that cost up. That mm -hmm. cost is being picked up. And that's, it's important because that means that's adequately funded. So 
What the rules require are, and it's, it's very transparent, it's all spelled out in the Federal Register, we're gonna do these things, thou shalt inspect these things, and industry shall pay the government to do that work. So it's, it's not a corrupt situation, right? It's just a user fee situation. So FSIS is always funded the way it needs to be funded because it's funded out of a tax on the user. But the FDA is not funded the that FDA way. The FDA is not funded that way completely. So there are some user fees in government parlance, but the FDA tends to be poorly funded with respect to food inspection. So we've had some scandals, right, with, with eggs. We've had uh, um, milk recalls or the biggest one is peanut butter. And so we had this big peanut butter recall because we had salmonella in the peanut butters. How do you get salmonella in peanut butter? So salmonella is in, in the dirt. Salmonella is a ubiquitous bacteria. It's everywhere. So it's, um, it just is what it is. It's everywhere. And if you think about a peanut, a peanut's grown underground. I harvest the peanut. Well, the peanut's pretty dirty when it comes into the comes into the processing plant. So they shell the peanut and crush the peanut and however you make peanut butter, the magic that occurs to make peanut butter. When that process, dirt got incorporated, right? Because the machine's dirty and then they weren't cleaning the machines, right? Well, come to find out, FDA wasn't actually inspecting those places. Hmm. Because they don't have the budget, they don't have the inspectors, they're not really good at enforcement. And on the drug side of FDA, uh, they function differently. You come to them and they say yes or no. Well, here they've got to go to you and actually inspect. And that's not been their strength. Um, and those supply chains are really distributed and they're uh, really convoluted. So this is always an ongoing discussion at the government about should we consolidate to one food safety inspection agency? The push has been to take it to FDA because they are um, right the bigger of the two organizations and they do everything but meat. Uh, and those of us in the meat industry have stood up and said, ah, don't do that to us. Our system works. We don't have problems. Um, so I think that's right. That's kind of an ongoing discussion. But we do have the safest food supply in the world. And we have that because we have laws that are transparent and are generally enforced. And we have a really good recall system. So if something's picked up, if we take the peanut butter example, they can trace all that peanut butter through the supply chain. So in the grocery stores. And it seems like the meat industry or the meat packing industry is, I don't know if the right word is vertically integrated or there's there's not, you know, 10,000 individually run meat packing plants in the U.S. They're very consolidated. And does that help with the food safety issue? Yeah, there are pros and cons of consolidation, right? But one of the big pros is, is that we know where the beef and pork and chicken pack, packing plants are. We know where those animals get harvested and we understand the distribution chain. And there are large organizations which control those that have brands that are retail-facing brands. Let's just use Tyson as an example. Everybody knows what Tyson is. Tyson sells chicken, beef, and pork. The Tyson brand is in the grocery store. The last thing Tyson wants is a food safety recall because that damages their brand value, it damages their ability to sell. So there's really strong alignment between government regulators and industry to say, listen, this supply chain is here, help us manage this supply chain risk. We have, you know, I don't know, 20 some packing plants for pork in the US and less than that for beef and, you know, there's lots of chicken plants but they're really consolidated and we know where they are. Comparing that to the, the, the um, vegetable industry, right? So we've seen all these recalls with lettuce. 
romaine lettuce, right? And that seems or spinach, and it seems like romaine lettuce has been once a month here, but um, it's not been that bad, but it certainly seems like it. But if you think about it, right, the, the supply chain or where we get lettuce from to show up in our grocery store that you and I go shop at is huge. So in, in the middle of the winter, in January, we're buying that from Chile or Southern Mexico or somewhere. And in July, we're buying that from the Northern Valley, San Joaquin Valley of California. And as the weather gets cooler, we move it back south. And so the supply chain goes up and down a corridor based upon weather because we grow that stuff outside. So the processing plants are all over the place. They're bagging the stuff all over the place. And so the inspection process is much more difficult. Mm-hmm. The other bit is, is that uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Lettuce Grower doesn't have a brand in the grocery store. We don't buy branded lettuce, right? If I go buy romaine lettuce, right. it's whatever's in the grocery store. And it's probably don't have a label on it. I don't know. I bought it at you know, whichever grocery store I went to today. And so there's less brand identity to protect. And so um, people do where they're paid to do it. And so when there's a really economic consequence for getting it wrong, um, people tend to invest a lot of money. And when there's not, maybe they're not investing quite as much. There's also been a lot of press recently about the pork industry, which I don't know. Do you know anything about the pork industry? Never heard of it before, Ash. Well, uh, I want to ask you a question about it, and it's about um, how Trump reduced the number of inspectors uh, late last year, and now there's been some whistleblower complaints about how that's going to affect potentially food safety, and then there's this other thing about, uh, I think, increasing line speed. What is, what is going on there, and should we, we be worried so let's let's back up the train 400 miles. I thought you would say 400 years, and I was no, like, that's no, no, too no, not 400 years, 400 <laughs> miles. So what we're talking about is is that there's been this um, alternative inspection process that's replied, use the acronym HIMP, H-I-M-P, and not and, to be confused with hemp. Not in hemp or marijuana, and it's a, okay. it's a, it's a, this is a hemp plant. And so, I, 17, 18, 19, 20 years ago, this original idea was proposed. So the idea was we would move from this very rigid approach to inspection, which was designed literally in the 1920s and really hasn't varied very much, to one that was based on really the industry standard, all industry standards for um, uh, risk mitigation, which is HACCP, which is Hazard Analysis Critical Control Points. The idea was is let's take our inspection intensity to the spots where we're most likely to have food safety issues. So this was proposed a long time ago. It's been in place as an experimental approach, temporary process in a number of packing plants across the US for 17 years or something like that. So we've been doing this a long time. We have a tremendous amount of data about how to do this. And those those plants, I've been in those plants, I've been in regular plants, it isn't a lot. The inspection isn't that different, but they've really moved the intensity um, away from kind of the traditional process and said, hey, let's work together and design where the hazards are in the plant. Where do we have food safety issues? Where do we have potential food safety issues based on this specific plant and put a lot of inspection pressure on those points? Can you give us an example of where where is there more hazard in a particular plant compared so, to another part of the plant? Well, let me just compare and contrast the old and the new. Might be an easier spot to go. And that compare and contrast is, is that we still put a tremendous amount of inspection on tuberculosis. 
because in the 1920s, tuberculosis was a problem in pigs. We had in tuberculosis infections in pigs, and we were infecting people with contaminated undercooked pork. The U.S. Free swine herd has been declared free of tuberculosis for a long time. In traditional plants, we are still inspecting with the same intensity that we were in 1920. What we've not pivoted is to say, listen, I'm really worried about poop on meat. So when I take the viscera and I take the intestines out of a, out of a pig, if I happen to nick that intestine when I, when I dress the pig and I get um, fecal material or intestinal juice, as I am fecal at that point, on the carcass, I now have contaminated that carcass with things that could be a food safety problem, food poisoning. And so the traditional plants have some inspection on fecal contamination and a lot of inspection on tuberculosis. And what we're saying in a hemp plan is, I wanna reverse that. The risk of tuberculosis is really low because the pigs that are coming to the plant we know are not infected. So let's not put as much effort inspecting there. Let's put that effort where I could have a food safety problem. And that inspection may be actually in post-chill. So the carcass is harvested, it's chilled for basically 24 hours, and then we're gonna cut it into the meat we're all familiar with. Let's put increased inspection in post-chill because that's actually where we could have contamination events occur. So the idea is let's identify where the problems are, where the potential problems are, and then let's go put a lot of pressure on that to really ensure we've got a safe food supply. But you're losing me because you're talking about increasing inspection or putting more manpower in the areas where there's the biggest problem, but the headline in the press is we're reducing the number of inspectors and we're increasing the line speed, which to me seems to be the opposite of what you're saying. What we're saying is, is that we're gonna reduce the number of unionized government inspectors, and we are gonna do that. But we're gonna have them not doing jobs, which we're absolutely not adding value, and shift that to having an inspector supervise more plant personnel on doing things that, that actually do increase value. So part of the pushback, why this has not been implemented is, is that there are union contracts and the union is pushed back fairly vehemently that they don't wanna lose those jobs. Now, why are we increasing line speed? Well, line speed rates are set, artificially set at a number based upon what they perceive they can inspect per hour. Now, again, this is a hazard approach. What can I actually do versus what do I wanna do? And so that's part of this push to say, how do we, how do we modernize a system to address real world concerns um, so we continue having the safest food supply in the world? We, you know, we talked earlier, right? The meatpacking companies that own this, the last thing they want is a food safety violation. The last thing Tyson wants is to have a giant recall associated with one of their products that completely damages their brand. We have got complete alignment on what we're doing here. So how'd they figure out how far they could push the line speed? Uh, that'll vary plant by plant on how the plant's set up and what they can actually do and what can they can do safely. And right, the, the big concern on safety as well is, right, what do we do for workers? There's a lot of people that work in a plant. So what right. are we gonna do for worker safety and how fast should we optimize that? As an industry, we're, we're concerned. We make a lot of pigs today. If we can increase the line speed a little bit and not have to build another packing plant, that means that's another community we don't have to go put another, another facility in and go through all those challenges. And so there's a lot of benefits to saying, now let's optimize what we're doing. And we all believe that we can actually increase food safety by modernizing the process. 
And that's not been the spin because the spin has been, listen, we're going to take away some government jobs. And obviously there's some pressure on that. When I go buy eggs at the grocery store, there's two kinds. I don't understand the A and all the sizes, but that can be for our cooking show. Yes. But there's also one carton that has a really cute picture of a chicken that's like running around in grass. And then there's a picture of, well, it doesn't have a picture because they're not free range or grass fed or whatever the key marketing words are, but I always buy the free range eggs. And I always thought that that means they're probably healthier, they're happier. And am I right? No. <laughs> so why? Well, I think the key is one, they're, they're, they're equal safety. So let's start with that. We don't have a food safety issue. So, so you're not going to get sick buying either one. The, the difference is where they're raised. And so we buy the opposite. We buy whatever's cheap. We're, we're, we're a cheap house. So we, we eat a lot of eggs. And so they're always on the cheap bucket. But you break our budget. We, we, we have to starve. But that's a joke, people. But it's... Um, you don't have a backyard chicken flock? No, 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 we do. No. So what's the difference between those? What's what they right. eat, right? So what an animal eats tends to be in its product. So if I change the diet of the chicken, I get a very different uh, egg. So we love fruit. We love backyard chicken eggs, right? So we get, you know, one of our faculty here at school has got some chickens out back and we occasionally get those chickens and they're fantastic. They taste good. They're much darker yellow. There's a different eating quality to them. But there is a potential food safety trade-off. So when I buy the the, the commercial egg, the commercially conventionally raised egg, those hens are raised in a battery cage, which means that they're in a cage that's got a slope floor and it's all wire and the poop falls through the floor. But more importantly, when the chicken lays the egg, the egg immediately rolls out onto a conveyor belt away from the chicken. Do you know why they call it a battery cage? I don't know, because they're in- they're, That was not a good marketing decision. Well, I think it's because they're put in big, they're stacked like you would have a battery of guns stacked oh. on top of each other. So the cages are stacked in a staggered layer. So the front cage is, the bottom cage is closer to you than the top cage. Oh. So that the cages are stacked in a way that the, the, the manure falls out of the cage onto the floor and not on top of the chickens underneath them. So they put them in tall, they're multiple cages high and they step back. So that's kind of this angled battery, like a gun battery. Right, you don't want to put the bottom gun behind the behind the top I gun because they shoot into a, each other. I don't but know what a gun battery term. is. It's an old term. <laughs> okay, but the um, so the, the the conventional raised chicken goes in that the egg comes out immediately. When we think about a free range chicken, that chicken's outside eating whatever bugs, whatever, and that makes the egg darker and different. But the other bit is is that they're going to go lay in a box, and right, this is how chickens have been raised on farms forever. Well. Remember I said that the egg and the poop come out the same place. Well, the chicken goes and nests and lays her egg. Well, she probably poops in the box too. So the problem is, is that the fecal contamination rate on those eggs is higher. So can I wash them? Absolutely, they all get washed. That's a routine practice. But washing it makes it less bad, not perfect. And so, right, we don't die from these eggs because we, we tend to cook them and they're safe. So is there an issue with eating free-range eggs? No. Are they more likely to be contaminated? Probably yes. Just because of where the chicken's going to lay the egg and what's going to happen. But as long as I cook it, I'm, I should be okay. Yes. Even if you eat it over easy and put it in your hair, you'll be just fine. <laughs> okay, great. My new shampoo. All right. Well, thanks, Jim, for joining us. Uh, and thank you to our listeners for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening, and we'd love to hear from you too. 
Find us on Twitter. Our handle is at theroundbarn1, or you can email us at theroundbarn at vetmed.illinois.edu. We may even share your comments on the next show. Please subscribe and tell your friends about the show. It's available on iTunes or the podcatcher of your choice. One last thing, we also offer a wide range of learning opportunities for folks who work with livestock and veterinarians too. You can learn more at online.vetmed.illinois.edu. See you soon.